Beloved saints, this is our God's word. It is not of human origin, it is of divine origin, and so it is worthy of our full attention. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. We'll stop at that point and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Our gracious God, you know our fickle hearts. You know that on one hand we desire your truth, on the other hand we fear it. On the one hand we run to it, and yet sometimes we run from it. And so as we come to your word, our confidence is not in ourselves. It's that you are greater than our fears, you are greater than our doubts, that you are not bound by our sin. That your word gives freedom to those in bondage. And so may we not just believe these things, but may we experience and witness them. As you open your word to us now, we pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever played the Would You Rather game? It's uh, it's this game that youth groups play where you're given either two good choices or two bad choices and you have to pick one. So things like, would you rather lose the ability uh, to read or the ability to speak? Would you rather be locked in a room full of spiders or a room full of snakes? Uh, would you rather eat snails or uncooked chicken? Right? And you have to pick one. But not all would you rather questions are hard to answer or at least shouldn't be. There are some that should actually be quite easy. Things like, would you rather be humble or proud? Good. I agree. It ought to be an easy one. I hope that everyone here would prefer to be humble and not proud. Anyone who actually wants to be arrogant has issues. Uh, that's, that should be an easy question to answer. But what if I asked, would you rather be wise or prosperous? That might be a bit harder. Because both seem desirable. question is, which do you desire more? And yet, biblically, it shouldn't be that hard of a question. In fact, it really isn't any different than the choice between humility and pride. Because biblically, wisdom and humility go hand in hand, and generally speaking, so do prosperity and pride. But pride is tricky. Pride is one of those things that is super easy to spot in others, but a little harder to spot in ourselves. It seldom announces itself. 
And it loves to hide behind, beneath a layer of pious-sounding language. And pride is all over Psalm 94, what we're looking at today. Uh, Last week looked at Psalm 92, and it's called to seek depth, to shun shallowness, and to seek that which is eternal and often unseen over that which is temporary and right in front of us. And the next few psalms, uh, after Psalm 92, kind of carry out that theme of depth versus shallowness, and they explain it. Uh, Psalm 93 is about righteousness. I had planned to look at it today, but as I was looking at it, I realized this would go really well with the baptism we have planned next week for Teddy Diedrich. And so I decided to put that off a week, and we'll look at Psalm 93 uh, next week. And today... Today we're going to skip ahead to the next psalm, Psalm 94. And Psalm 94 begins with a a plea for God to deal with the proud and the arrogant of this world, which is a legitimate concern. And yet, as is so often the case, uh, noble concerns can get twisted by our own sin and our own pride. Because pride isn't just a problem in the world, it's also a problem in all of our hearts. And so, as we look at the psalm this morning, what I want to show you is that left unchecked, pride will blind you to what God is doing in you and around you. That left unchecked, pride will blind you to what God is doing in you and around you. And so we want to work our way through the psalm, and as we do, we want to see the concern expressed about the arrogant of the world, Uh, and then we want to see what, uh, or how it is easy to miss, um, that when we focus on those who have let us down, rather than on what God has shown us, His kindness and His faithfulness, it's easy to miss what He's doing. Or has done for us. And then finally we'll see how uh, that understanding of God's kindness and his faithfulness should transform the way we pray about others and the way we pray for others who mistreat us. And so that's really where we want to go today as we look at this psalm. Uh, This idea of pride... uh, pervades the first seven verses, the verses we just read. Uh, So verse 2, repay the proud. Verse 4, they pour out arrogant words. Um, Then again, uh, in verse 4, they all boast, they brag, which is really also what he's saying in verse 7. He says, they say that God is blind to all they do. What he's saying is they're bragging. Uh, There's no God to stop us. And if there is, he's oblivious. Pride, arrogance, boasting. This is the issue. And the psalmist is is concerned not just with those who do evil, but the fact that they seem so brazen about it. They don't even try to hide their sin. They they do it out in the open and then they boast about it. If they had uh, social media back in that day, they would have posted it on on their social media feeds. In reality... What he's saying is they are blinded by their pride. They are blind to right and wrong. They are blind to consequences. And ultimately, they are blind to God. Their pride has blinded them. 
And so what are the sins that they've committed? What wickedness is it that that concerns our psalmist today? Well, it's that they're afflicting God's people. Uh, these might be foreigners, but it's, very, it's more likely that they are actually leaders within Israel. The leaders God has put in charge over his people, and they're abusing their power. Uh, they're mistreating God's people in a quest to use their own roles of leadership for their own glory and prosperity and comfort. And it's most clearly seen in how they treat the sojourner, uh, the Gentiles who live among the Jews in Israel, uh, and how they treat the widows, those who have lost their husbands, and then their children, the widow's children, the, the orphans, the fatherless. And it says that they kill them, they murder them. But how they do that is not clear. It's, it's doubtful that they're just walking around... Um, Killing them with swords or something like that. More likely what is in view here is that they're exploiting these poor people within their land, those who are in need. They're forcing them to do a hard and dangerous work that might often result in death. They're conscripting them to fight wars that are, are more about the king's ego than they are about protecting the people. Uh, And possibly, it represents a justice system that is quick and severe in its punishment, whether or not it's actually deserved. Uh, Put that person to death. He's a foreigner. What's the big deal? And the psalmist says, sending them to, to unnecessary death is no less murder than if you just took out a sword and stabbed them. And we get it. How many of our young people are sent into danger needlessly? How proudly do our leaders defend the murder of the unborn as if it were a virtue and not one of the greatest evils in all of history? How often do those in power treat the lives of of common folk as if they were pieces on a game board? The world hasn't changed much since this psalm was written. And it's especially grievous when you understand that, that these, group, these three groups, the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan, were particularly close to God's heart. In Psalm 68, which we opened with in our call to worship this morning, God declares that he is the father of the orphan and he is the protector of the widow. Uh, and that, that's, that's explained more in Deuteronomy. In, in chapter 26, God explains to Israel what they're supposed to do with their offerings. So they're supposed to bring them to Jerusalem and give them to the priest. And God says part of that is meant to care for the priest, to feed them, but, but that's not all. God says my food, my offerings are to be used to feed the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan. God shares his portion with the destitute who were in need. Far from being unimportant to God, these were his honored guests at his table. Uh, Calling them dear to his heart would be a gross understatement. These were his people. And so the mistreatment of them was absolutely abhorrent in God's eyes. 
Clearly, the, the psalmist has read Deuteronomy, and he understands this. But that also means he would have, have read a few chapters later, chapter 32, where God says, Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. And, and this is why the psalmist says in verse 1, or why he calls God in verse 1, God of vengeance. He's saying, God, you have said that vengeance is yours and that the doom of the wicked comes swiftly, so where is it? Don't you care about the widows? Don't you care about the orphans? Or am I the only one who's noticing what's going on here? These are your people after all, aren't they? It's as if the psalmist is saying, Lord, am I the only one who cares about your people? And he closes with an appeal to God's honor. He says, they're boasting, they're laughing at you, God. They're claiming that you don't see what's going on. And the psalmist is tempted to agree. It's as if he's saying, Lord, do you care? Or am I the only one who seems to care about defending your honor? Now, the leaders that he's praying about might not be the only ones struggling with pride. While there's some degree of of piety and honor in his prayer, you can quickly see that really it's just a thinly veiled complaint or a critique because he's finding fault with God. It's clear that, that he sees an urgency here and can't for the life of him figure out why God isn't acting faster. So verse 3, twice he says, how long? How long do I have to wait on you, God? He's frustrated with God's patience. With God's deliberate slowness in bringing about the vengeance that he has promised. Have you ever noticed that none of us question God's patience with us, only with others? I don't know one person who has ever said, God, I can't believe you were so patient with me. Why didn't you just strike me down in my arrogance? We all tend to believe that that when we're struggling is the time for patience. And now that we have things sorted out, it's time for God to drop the hammer and to uh, bring judgment on everyone who's making our lives hard. And there's a word for that kind of self-centered thinking. It's, it's called pride. We all deal with it. It's, it's not just those wicked people out there or those, those leaders. We all wrestle with pride. And we're all blinded by it. So what's the cure? What's the cure to pride blindness? Well, let's go to the end. I'm going to read verses 16 through 23. I'm going to read the verses out of order because I think the psalm is driving us towards the center. Verses 16 through 23. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. 
Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. When the psalmist slows down and he reflects honestly on his past, he can't help but seeing God's faithfulness repeatedly, time and time again. He knows that the Lord has come to his aid more than once, verse 16. He can't ignore that he would have long ago been banished into exile if God had not been his helper, verse 17. Many times he has thought he was on the verge of an uh, irrecoverable fall, but, but the Lord preserved him in love. Verse 18. When life was overwhelming and he thought his heart would break, it was the Lord who gave him a peace that surpassed understanding. Verse 19. When he considers the mere possibility that God would somehow make an alliance with the leaders who are afflicting him, that God would leave the innocent unavenged, he's forced to laugh because it's so contrary to God's character. And so he has no choice but to confess that his pride has blinded him, that the Lord is indeed his refuge, and that God will come in justice in his time. When he focused on the offenses of others, his pride was stoked, and and he was blinded to, to what the Lord had done for him, was doing in him, and might be doing in others around him. After all, where would he be without the Lord's mercy? Would would he be any different from those who are driving him crazy? Apart from God's redeeming love, is he really any better? What was it that made all the difference in his life? Was it not God's patience with him? Was it not God's kindness? Isn't that what he's confessing, that that God is his rescuer? And as is often the case, nothing has changed in his circumstances. The only thing that's changed is his perspective. So let's go back a few verses and see what he confessed in verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. He confesses that that blessing is found not in living the easy life, but in understanding God's ways, understanding God's law, He says that wisdom is better than prosperity. This is the what would you rather that we started with. Would you rather be wise or prosperous? And the psalmist is answering that question for us. Blessing is found in the Lord's discipline and instruction in understanding how God works. Blessing is found in wisdom. Understanding that God will one day set all things right enables him, verse 13, 
to have peace while he waits. If you understand that God will never leave you or abandon you or forsake you, you can endure all sorts of affliction knowing it won't last forever. Justice will come in its time. The great question is, why does God wait so long? Why doesn't he just drop the hammer now like we so often wish he would? Well, the scriptures help us to understand his sense of timing. Uh, The apostle Peter tells us, we heard this in our declaration of pardon today, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Paul states it this way, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why is God patient? Why is he forbearing and kind? Not just to us, but to others like us. God's patience is all about giving us time to repent. If we're comfortable with God waiting for us but not others, what are we being? We're being proud. We're being arrogant. We're being self-centered. Wisdom, understanding God's ways, leads to humility, to seeking good for others and not just ourselves. If we would be humble, we must be wise. If we are wise, we must seek mercy for others and not just ourselves, even if it means being patient in adversity. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's not that Jesus was indifferent to pain and suffering. It's not that he wanted justice to never come. But he was willing to surrender his comfort, his timing for something greater. Something that would mean mercy for many. That's where God's wisdom leads. To compassion for others. That's what happens when God's heart starts to shape our heart. It changes the way we see others, the way we pray for them, and the way we speak to them. And so let's read the last few verses, verses 8 through 11. The psalmist turns to his afflictors and he says this, Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord who knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. In these four verses, the psalmist makes a plea for repentance to those who are causing his misery. When he calls them dull and fools, he's not being mean. He's he's acknowledging their blindness to reality and and that it's putting them in great danger. He's acknowledging that they have been blinded. 
And so he asked, he asked them, do you think that the creator of the ear doesn't hear what you're saying? Do you think the creator of the eye doesn't see you? Do you think the one who gave you knowledge doesn't know everything? Do you, th- do you, do you, do you think you can outweigh the eternal one when your life is but a breath? It's not mockery, it's not mean, it's just honest. Instead of arguing with God's patience, he's now using God's patience as an opportunity to plead with his afflictors to repent and experience the mercy he has before it's too late. That's humble. And it's kind. And it too reflects the very heart of Jesus Do you remember what Jesus prayed? For his executioners, in the middle of his execution, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Praying for his afflictors, he seeks their mercy. That's glorious. That is a humble prayer. And it shows the hidden wisdom of God who's, who's not slow in keeping his promises but patient toward us. It's the kind of depth that, that Psalm 92 that we saw last week calls us to. The ability to see past our creature comforts and status and see the world in light of eternity. Biblical wisdom is the ability to judge all things in light of eternity. That wisdom leads us to compassion for others. And compassion is not always obvious to those to whom it's being offered. It takes a lot of wisdom and grace to confess something like verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline. We don't tend to like discipline. It's painful. But it teaches us wisdom. And we're always better for it. When the psalmist calls his afflictors dull and foolish, he's, he's actually being compassionate because he's saying, you've been blind, you've, you've, you've mistaken God's patience for indifference. Repent while you have time. Sure, these statements make people uncomfortable, but they're kind. In a few minutes, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And it will be the only place in the worship service where we say, this is for those who have repented and turned to Jesus for forgiveness, and for those only. It is the only place in the worship service where we make a division. And to some, that might sound harsh and unkind and wholly lacking compassion. But the Bible says that this division is is necessary to make the invisible visible. This is God telling us that, that those who think his patience means indifference, those who don't realize that there's a day coming when when he will divide those who have repented from those who haven't. And when that day comes, it, it will be too late. The meal, this Lord's Supper is telling them, it will not always be like this. This is what you have to look forward to unless you repent. Repent while there's time.
God is giving us a glimpse of his justice before it's too late. And he reminds everyone that, that the one who has ears hears all. The one who, 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 who uh, invented eyes sees all. The one who gives knowledge knows all. And that warning, though uncomfortable, is compassionate because that's who our God is. And his warnings lead to wisdom for those who hear. And that wisdom leads to taking hold of what is eternal over what is comfortable. And so our God is compassionate. He confronts our pride. And he calls us to come to his table and to be comforted and to be reminded that our God knows all, sees all. There's a day coming when he will take care of all things. Until then, let our, heart, our troubled hearts find our comfort in him. Let our stumbling feet find their security in him. Let us find our peace in our God. So I'd like to ask the elders to come forward uh, as, we seek, as we receive uh, this meal. And please join me in prayer. Father, we long for humility. But often we fear the road to get there. We want wisdom, but don't want to surrender control. Help us. Help us to have the heart and the mind of Jesus our Lord and to seek the salvation of those who afflict us rather than their judgment. Help us to desire your patience for them as much as we appreciate your patience toward us. Grant us humility, patience, wisdom, and compassion, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.